Our reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can change mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I would put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Rabbits. I'm going to start a sermon off today with rabbits. So when I was a kid, um, always with them. No, they were hares, never mind that. Um, But when I was a kid, I had this storybook. Maybe you know it. It was called, Guess How Much I Love You. It was a simple story. It was about... I was making a lot of squeaky noises. Is that turned off? Okay. Anyway. Um, it was two characters. A father hair and a child hair. And... There's so many squeaky noises. going to bother me. One second. I'm going to turn this off and use that. Pretend none of this is happening. Okay. Yeah, two characters. A father hair and a child hair. And they kept each telling each other how much they love each other in terms of distance. So one would say, I love you this much. And the other would go, I love you this much. And the other one would say, I love you all the way to that tree. And so on and so forth, getting bigger and bigger each time. Until the younger hair said, I love you all the way up to the moon. And the book ends with the father hair tucking the little hair into bed and saying, I love you all the way to the moon and back. It's a sweet story. It's a story about a love so large that the atmosphere can't hold it. It's about a father's great, big, epic love. Now, I'm here to tell you today that God's love for us is so unimaginably bigger. The word love is thrown around too much. I can use it to describe my feelings towards my sisters, or towards cheese. I, it can, the feeling it can describe can be very different, but you should have no doubt that God's love is the good stuff. It's the proper, high-quality love, the warm, bright light that dwells in the atmosphere and fills up the air with serenity, the burning, passionate, intense love that drives us into action for the ones we love. It's a perfect and supreme love that God has for us. We know that God loves us, we know it's because of Jesus, because God did this great big sign of love for us. 
God came down to the heaven, from the heavens to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who was just the best, by the way, um, he was hurt and he was beaten and he was betrayed and rejected and he died this painful, gruesome, humiliating death. It was shameful. And he did it to take our sins and our shame and pay the price for our cruelty and our shortcomings. God loves us. As Christians, we hear this a lot. We hear it from preachers, we hear it from friends, we hear it on inspirational posters. And I worry that the impact of the statement can lose its meaning. It can become accepted, mundane, trivial, bland, quickly passed over. It becomes a tossaway line. But God's love is like the stars. We become so used to them that we forget to stare up in awe of them. How many times have we walked home in the darkness and not even looked up? But the, looking at the stars should never become trivial. Looking away from our planet and staring out into the heart of space and seeing ancient suns stare back shouldn't become trivial and mundane and normal. Sometimes God's love can seem like the stars in a whole other way. It can seem like a cold, faraway light. And I think we let a lot of stuff get in the way of our relationship with God, prevent it from being a relationship. Some of us have this tendency to compartmentalize ourselves into things God's, God likes about us and things he dislikes. When we have done things or when we have qualities about us that make us make it feel harder It makes it feel like God finds it harder to love us. And it's really destructive. We make our our problems into barricades, saying God's love is on the other side. Thinking, this is the stuff that God loves about me, and this is the part of me that he gets frustrated with, that he doesn't like. And when I'm dwelling in that stuff, God doesn't really love me then. He's disappointed then. He's angry at me then. He turns away from me until I start behaving. I make God angry, I make God frustrated, I break his heart with wasted love. And maybe we even start to think that God might regret going through all the trouble of the cross for you. Or that he did it for other people, but not for you. Maybe we get it into our heads at times that if God knew the real me, if he knew me the way I know me, then he wouldn't love me. If he really knew me, He couldn't love me. Is it surprising we might think this when at times this is a viewpoint we can take towards other people in our lives? We play pretend. We wear masks. We try to be better, friendlier, funnier, more sophisticated, wiser versions of ourselves who have everything together, trying to get acceptance, love and success and fearing failure when we take off our masks. We fear that our families will fall apart, our friends will reject the real us, society will cast us out, our partners wouldn't love us, our parents would be disappointed in us, so we keep the masks on because it feels safe behind them. But that doesn't work for God. Unfortunately for us, there is no pretending with God. There is no dark or dirty corner of your mind that God can't see as bright as day. 
there is simply no point in hiding from God. You can lie to him in prayer if you want, but you'll know you're lying, and so will he, so you're just wasting your breath. God sees the entirety of us, which is why it can feel sometimes like he shouldn't love us. Now, I don't want to make any assumptions on you, so I'm just going to talk about me for a second. I can be pretty difficult to love at times. Just ask my sisters. I'm petty. I have a short temper. I get all kind of whiny and squeaky. I'm lazy. I can be spiteful. I say stupid things. I get scared and I handle it badly. I'm self-destructively indecisive. I lie almost compulsively. I get... I break things and I break relationships and I screw up and I fail. And I'm a mess. And I hope I'm not the only one. And I think a lot of us can feel, quite frankly, unlovable at times. So we dwell on the mistakes and the faults and we can't get over them. And we say that God can't get over them too, but we're putting words into his mouth. In our shame and guilt, we miss the whole point of the cross. When God sent Jesus to die, he knew who we were going to be. He knew we were going to mess up all the time. He knew we would get frustrated with him. He knew we wouldn't always get along with each other. He knew we were going to be messy, complicated, and difficult people. God knew what he was doing. He knew the state of the people he was saving and the quality of the lives they would lead, and he wanted to do it anyway. He had no delusions about you. He saw through all your masks, and he knew why you wore them. So why do we pretend he was ignorant of certain mistakes that we'll make? In Revelations 3.20, it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God is outside the door and waiting to come in to anyone who invites him in. Note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God is outside the door of the best people's houses. It doesn't say he's outside the door of the most well-behaved people's houses. Or the ones who have everything sorted out. The ones who screw up the least. The ones who carry out his work the best. The holiest ones. The most productive ones. The most successful ones. He doesn't choose favorites. When Jesus was on earth, he ate with the thieves and the prostitutes and other not really nice people. Because God doesn't care who you are. His people were often the flawed ones. When God saw us in our messiness, in our weakness, or awkward and spiteful and petty and scared and hurting and broken and just messed up, he saw us in our shortcomings and our harshness, and he said, I don't want you to suffer for it. I will. I'll take it. I will take your shame on myself. I will take your, your guilt. I will take whatever is a mark against you. It says that Jesus covers us so that when God sees us, he only sees Jesus. And Jesus was innocent, perfect, shameless, 
Nobody can ever hold anything against you, not even you, because God doesn't. You are universally even. Your books are balanced. You are blameless. You are spotless. You are perfect. Anything you feel would be a mark against you. God has taken. He has taken the blame and the shame to God. All sins are equal. And all sinners are equally lovable. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. While we were still sinners, while we were still broken, before we even thought about loving him, he loved us. But let's not forget This is God. This is the one who set the whole universe spinning in its complexity, in its beauty, in its intricacy. He is bigger than the mind can imagine. He is older than everything. He is eternal. He is immortal. He is all-powerful. He is so much larger than we are. And he's not demanding that I should build him towers, that I should bow down in fear of his wrath. He is not laying out in careful order all the mistakes that I have made and to go over with when I die and prepare ironically themed punishments to ditty little tunes. He is not acting as judge over my life, dealing out my sentence. He is living out my sentence. He's doing something for me, for you. He is serving you. He is humbling himself down from heaven to this planet, suffering and dying to clean up the mess we make of ourselves. To clean up the dirt we cover ourselves with that some of us are still covering ourselves with. To rid us of our shame. Either God is insane or God's love is more overwhelming and vast than I can fathom. You see, when God looked at us, he said, I will do whatever it takes to get you in my family. He saw us, and he wanted us to be his children. He loves us. He says, my son, my daughter, perfect. So can God really be a God that loving? Well, I recently read a testimony from a Muslim who converted to Christianity as a result, for, as a result of a search for God's love. He stressed how many verses he had found on God's love in the Bible. He claimed that while there were 69 uses of the word love in the Quran, there were over 400 to be found in the Bible. He was looking for love. Now, I don't know if that number's true. I haven't counted them myself. But there are a lot of verses in the Bible about love to choose from. It made this rather difficult. Um, but one particular phrase jumps out in 1, in 1 John 4, which has a lot of good stuff. God is love. It repeats it in verse 8 and 16. God is love. Now, can we take a moment to take that in there? Love 
is in his nature. It's part of the essence of who God is. It's what he's like. It's who he is. God is love. When God shows his face to people, when he reveals himself, what he shows them is love. And it's his most prominent and important quality. And if God is love, then we know what God is like. He is patient. He is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrong. He delights in truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. God isn't an angry God, a condemning God. He's a father full of love and support. Family. God is love. Not feeling like you deserve God's love is what grace is all about. And I think we forget that. I think we forget that the cross is a symbol of God's crazy, extreme love for us in spite of us. Grace is what we call God handing out love and acceptance, regardless. Okay, let's turn to Isaiah for this last thought. Isaiah 54:10. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Okay, so Isaiah is talking prophetically in the moment. First, he's talking about how God turned away because of the sins the people were committing. But then he tells us of a new time, our time, post-Jesus time. And he makes a promise, just like the one he made to Noah. Now I have sworn not to be angry at you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed. God says that the mountains can shake and the hills be removed and he'll still love us. Like, what? Have you seen a mountain lately? I have. I saw some a couple months ago and I'm telling you, it was pretty sturdy. And hills be removed? Like someone's going to come up and take it away and still he loves us? Still? Because his love is just that big. It's not to the moon and back. It's not even to the sun and back. His love is the biggest, greatest, strongest, most awesome-tastical love in all of existence. God is love. And God is massive. God stretches out infinitely in every direction. He is big enough to fill the whole universe. He is larger than any star. He is more powerful than anything else in existence. He is not restricted by time or matter or space. His love is not restricted. He is bigger. He's that big. His love is that big. His love is that powerful. It is beyond imagining. It is beyond restriction. It is off the charts. It is infinite. So tell me, what's so bad about you? That God, with a heart that size, can't find space in it 
for you. What fault in you is so strong that the strength of the mountains is weaker than it? That it would defy an unbreakable oath by an almighty being. What are you going to do to make a God with a love that big turn away from you? Stop loving you. God's stronger than any force in the universe. God doesn't turn away from people. And he doesn't turn people away. He waits outside your door patiently. And he knocks. And any who let him in, he'll come in with and he'll eat with. His love is unchanging, unwavering, unimaginable. God doesn't have days when he loves you less. He doesn't have days when he doubts if he made the right choice to love you. He doesn't regret going to the cross for you. And when you don't love yourself, he still loves you. He didn't wait for you to fix your act before he loved you. He didn't wait for you to sort out your life. He didn't wait for you to ask for forgiveness before he forgave you. He didn't wait for you. God loves you first. God loves us, even in our complicated, broken messiness. Jesus came as a humble servant. He came to help. The Holy Spirit is in the world and people's lives every day because God loves us. God loves you. He, he loves you. And he wants to be in your lives every day, living out that love. He doesn't just want to be there on the good days. He doesn't just want to be there on the Sundays. He doesn't just want to be there when it's easy or when you think that what you're doing is making him happy. He doesn't want to be there on some days. He wants to be there on all the days. He wants a relationship with you every day. A relationship with God is easy. You bring to him every part of you. You build an honest intimate connection that he can be with you all the time and you'll find he's one of those fathers who will always be there for you with truth and real support in the hardest times and the darkest places with complete acceptance with overwhelming undying love a father a friend forever. Amen.